Today's episode is with Terry Carmichael again, and this is part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, then jump back on into the podcast and head to last week's episode. Today, we will be continuing the chat about Wet Tropics Rainforest, what makes it a World Heritage Rainforest, and also where did our animals and plants come from. Enjoy. Have you ever wondered how a kangaroo can live in a tree? What about crocodiles and how they can stay underwater for hours at a time and not be seen? Maybe what keeps you up at night is your thoughts of how box jellyfish can be the most venomous animal in the whole world towards humans? Or is it your curiosity of what really goes on inside that caterpillar cocoon for a magnificent stunning butterfly to emerge? Well, don't worry, as I have all your questions answered and much, much more with our following wild chats. I am going to bring you the most amazing guests. Hey everyone, my name is Jodie Creek and I'm a wildlife educator and huge advocate for Australian animals. And of course, their habitats and ecosystems as well. But what I'm truly passionate about is bringing you information that you need to connect with the natural world. So someone once said to me that I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the world around me. So let's hope that we can inspire you to make change at home and therefore together we do actually change the world. So get that cup of tea ready and enjoy the following Wild Chats. The current theory for Australia's very, very famous venomous snakes, you know, Australians, we love to win. The 10 most venomous snakes on earth, drum roll, please. We're fascinated, by the way. Look, I accept we're humans are fascinated by the biggest, the smallest, the greatest, the best. And that's just something humans love. So that's okay. We theorise that that first ancestor got here probably as a mangrove or sea snake and entered Australia and then evolved into the multiplicity of venomous snakes that we have in Australia today. But the sad news is that our really venomous snakes did not originate from Australia. They got here from Southeast Asia. So, again, our bats and our rats did as well. We had two waves of uh, rodents coming from Southeast Asia into Australia. These are native animals, everybody. They're native animals. We have a giant rainforest rat called the white-tailed rat in our rainforest here. It's a beast to be reckoned with. For those of us who live in the bush, you've got to keep them out of your shed. You've got to keep them out of your car. You've certainly got to keep them out of your house. They love to chew rubbery things. So I think talk to your, your local friend who lives in the bush and they've all got a story on how their white-tailed rat chewed through the radiator fluid in their car or something like that, or a water hose or something special like that. And we've all got those stories. My stepson's $300 wetsuit got turned into confetti by a, by a white-tailed rat. Yeah, but that's life. Got to live with these animals. They're special animals. Got to live with them. So there you go in a nutshell. Yes, we can be very proud of our biodiversity. Yes, there's some very unique plants and animals that are very much Australian origin, but we have connections to other continents. We've got time in splendid isolation and we've got this collision with Southeast Asia where we inherited a whole bunch of their stuff. And this is something we don't fully understand yet. For some reason, more plants came from north to south than south to north. Yes, we had plants that moved north into Indonesia from Australia, but not many. And they tended to be mountaintop species. But that's kind of interesting. We're still working on that. As I said, this fascinates uh, botanists and this has been Mm. extensive. Someone's doing a PhD on it right now. It's it's fun to keep up with this. (laughs) Of course, none of this was known, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We're just making it up as we were going along. And that's why science is important. It tells us about where things came from. So to understand that story is really important. It gives us a feel for the wet tropics. So we got that continental-wide rainforest. Part of it is here. 
those animals that lived in that continental rainforest, some of them are still here. I'll pick one randomly. There are 70 species of kangaroo and wallaby in the world, 50 in Australia, 20 in New Guinea and in Indonesia. The, if you think of a family tree of wallabies and kangaroos, the bottom branch, the, the oldest living example we've got today, still lives in the wet tropics. Its ancestors from the fossil record at Riversley World Heritage Area in the Gulf Country, there's three species of them found in that fossil record. So these little musky rat kangaroos that have got kind of possum-like features, they kind of don't hop, they kind of bound like a, a rabbit bounds. They can have multiple babies. It's not uncommon for a musky rat kangaroo to have twins or triplets. It's not uncommon for a musky rat kangaroo to be able to climb rocks or low-hanging trees. It's not uncommon for a muskrat kangaroo. In fact, this is how they do it. They live in the middle of loyal vine tussocks. They build nests. They carry nesting material in a curled-up tail. Other small wallabies do that as well. But, look, they've got these unique features, and they're still alive. They're in the fossil record. They're definitely still living in our rainforest, and we're very lucky to have it. It's a small little, cute little guy. For those who live in the wet tropics, Lake Barine at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, do a circuit walk there, and you'll come back with a dozen sightings of musky rat kangaroos. Matt and I saw them. Oh, we did a two o'clock walk, one o'clock walk. Oh, okay. Was we it in winter two. or summer? Two, okay. It was yeah. last weekend, yeah. Oh, there you go. So getting warm, yeah. Um, see, again, Terry, it, it, for us, like Matt and I, we, you know, an hour walk takes us four hours because yeah, yes, so much take the too. time, we're looking around, we're really quiet. We even saw two antichinus. Oh, wow. Rummaging around. that time around. of year, yeah. It was amazing. So, yeah, it's just about taking the time and being and quiet. and Yeah, absolutely. And please don't be overwhelmed if you're wanting to give this a go. If you like natural history and you want to get out there and enjoy the natural world and mm. you'd love to be able to identify trees or identify animals, start simple. I think yeah. I've already said it. Buy a bird book or get a bird app and just start in your own backyard. And it's been a lifetime journey for all of my friends and myself and you, Joe, it's a lifetime's journey. Yep. Never boring, but life gets in the way sometimes of doing it. So, of course, we've got other lives we lead, but inevitably we always go back to our passion and our love. And you don't have to be nerdy like Jody and I. You can, you can just be an ordinary person who likes to go out and watch birds. And that's a great place to start. Gardening, planting native plants in your yard, that's a great way to get into plants. Yep. And soon you'll teach yourself you know, common garden, native garden plants, all of a sudden you'll know what a gorilla is, you'll know what a calisthenum is, um, mm. you'll know how to tell the difference between some lily pillies, very common in the tropics, lots of different lily pillies. So slowly but surely you can teach yourself. And are we blessed? My goodness, I'm surrounded by an absolute pile of books that I'm surrounded by. Because when I started out, nothing, literally nothing before that. The only bird book we had, had the photos, the maps and the information in three different locations in your book. So you had to stick your three fingers in there, hold on the page to identify a bird. Today, we've got an app that does it. We've got an app that can tell you what it sounds like. We've got stunning books that you can teach yourself rainforest botany by. We've got free online keys to identify rainforest plants. If you're keen... You can teach us some of it for free, some of it you have to buy. There's no excuse not yep. to get involved. There are great places to go. You could go to the Daintree Discovery Centre in the Daintree. You could go to Melanda Falls Visitor Information Centre. Um, they're free to enter. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Daintree Discovery Centre is not free to enter, but uh, Melanda Falls Visitor Information Centre, Ravenshoe Visitor Information Centre. Mm. There's some really good things out there. You don't have to have a million dollars. And if you're good at Googling, 
just put the right search words in there and come up with stuff. Yeah, for sure. Jody's got some great stuff online. That's it. I feel, Terry, when I said this the other day when I was talking to Jamie Seymour, I said the more we learn, the more we realise that we actually didn't know, you know, and it's just like... Wow. It's never-ending. It is never-ending. I think, you know, science and natural history is the most fascinating subject on earth. And I really want to say, guys, during the Victorian era, it was the trendiest thing to do. The royalty of Europe paid people to go searching the world for plants and animals. A lot of royalty collected plants and animals. Napoleon Bonaparte's wife collected animals from all over the world. It was just what people did. It was the latest and greatest thing to do. We once had placed a high priority on natural history and, and being interested in it than what we do today. It doesn't rate that highly today. But back in the day, it was the very coolest thing you could do was to study birds and plants and be associated with natural history. It was, you know, at the royalty did it, intelligent people did it, everyday people did it. It was just a whole brave new world that we didn't know much about and we wanted to know more. So I I think we've changed. We've been distracted by our screens. Hollywood distracts us a lot and it's nice to go back to our roots. I think this is what... I might date this podcast by saying this is what this current situation finds us in with the COVID is we're all getting out into protected areas now to go for a walk, to feel better about ourselves. It's the first thing Queensland did after our little lockdown, our national parks were opened up. Our Premier told us to get out there and enjoy our beautiful protected areas, some of the best natural places on earth. And there's never been a better time to do it. There's no doubt about that. I think this year certainly has, like you said, there's change coming. And I think this year has helped that change to propel forward quite quickly in regards to just how valuable, you know, nature and the environment is and how it makes us feel. I think that's the important part. You don't have to be a bird nerd or a plant nerd. Mm -hmm. Just close your eyes and meditate for a second and you'll feel better. I know I do every single time. For if sure. I've got something to think about, I go for a walk in a beautiful rainforest and I find the answer. It just comes to me. There's so much distraction in our everyday life. There's no doubt about that. Yep. Hey, I'm going to com- keep going with our story because one of the most famous things about the tropics is it's one of the best examples of the evolution of land plants on Earth. Now, before you all switch off, I know most of us only think about plants on the 14th of February or I know there's gardeners listening who say, how dare you, I love my garden, I'm out there every day. Yes, I'm a gardener. I have an enormous plant collection. But not everybody does like plants. It's really confusing. You look at a rainforest from a distance, it's just this wall of green. So how do we interpret that wall of green? Well, one of the best fossil records in the world is how plants left the water and came to land to be giant 50-metre rainforest trees. The wet tropics is a great place where you can see what plants had to do. First thing plants had to do was get a waxy cuticle. Now, you've got a cuticle on your finger, and that keeps the water out from going down the side of your fingernail. Tree leaves took a while to form, but what plants wanted to do was keep their inside bits wet because if they came out of the water, they needed to seal out the sun and the heat. And they did that by forming a waxy cuticle. So that's the first trick plants had to do. So what's living out there today that's a great example of that? Well, it's a funny thing called a liverwort. Liverworts are still living in our rainforest today. They still represent that first trick plants had to do, get out of the water and get onto the land. So that's one stage of the evolutionary process, stopping yourself drying out 
and liverwort did that. And that still stays today on all plants. They all need to have a waxy cuticle to stop their insides drying out. The next step they had to do was kind of get into the ground. It was rocky way back 500 million years ago. And this is when all this started. We've got such a good fossil record of this. We know exactly what it was. So at the 500 million year stage, the earth was pretty rocky, not much soil. Erosion needed to take weathering, whether it be rain, wind. But plants started to break into the ground. They put little roots down. Ferns started that, but they, I'm sorry, excuse me, mosses started to do that, but they weren't real roots. But what mosses give us is growing from a tip. So mosses, some of you probably hose them off your pathways during the wet season because mosses are still around. I live with mosses all around me. The more I look, the more mosses I see even on a dry ridge where I live. They start to grow from a tip. That was unique. Liverworts don't grow from a tip. So that's what they gave us. The next step was we've got to get roots going. We've got to get leaves going. And the first roots and leaves were a thing called a club moss, or the proper word is a lycopite. So most of our coal... It's a very controversial subject. This amazing coal that we have that's causing, that's in the front page of the paper for the wrong reasons, but it tells us an amazing story from 400 million years ago during the Carboniferous where huge forests form on a very wet, moist climate and they form coal beds. Whole forests collapse on one another, usually very swampy, foggy country, and these plants were club mosses, giant club mosses, and they don't occur as giants today. And they had the... First, I'm going to use the word proto-roots and proto-leaves. And the fossil evidence for that is enormous because we're digging it out every day. All those coal fields are full of fossils of these plants. So that's a good thing. They learned how to grow tall. They learned how to kind of what a solar panel would be like, a leaf, which is what it is. It's a solar panel. It's getting energy from a star. We call that star the sun through a process called photosynthesis, and that's a really important thing, and we're really all obligated to plants because we can't make our own energy. We get our energy from things that eat plants or from the plants themselves, and that's from the sun. The sun has given us that energy. Remember, life support system, people. Look after it. We need it. Next thing along was ferns. First true leaves, ferns. They did it. Yay, fern fronds are the first true leaves. There you go. Everyone loves ferns from a crow's nest to an elk horn or a stag horn, the most obvious fern in our rainforest. But if you keep looking, look down at your feet, you'll see ferns on all the surfaces. They grow as epiphytes on rocks. Epiphytes are plants that grow on other plants or other surfaces that don't harm those other plants. And then the next thing was what we call gymnosperm. Gymno is naked from the Greek, naked and sperm, a seed. So these are seeds. Seeds were cool. Plant embryos with a lunchbox. Wow, that was a really big difference for conifers and cycads. So cycads and conifers or pine trees are related in that group called the gymnosperms. And Australia has, uh, the wet tropics has 15 species of pine tree. And it's not something you think of when you talk about Australia or rainforests. It's not something you think of. Pine trees, not kind of in the Australian vernacular, but 15 different types and really interesting ones as well. And then the great change. We would not be here today without them. It's really easy to see in the fossil record. When flowering plants evolve somewhere between the most debated thing in science, 120 million to possibly 200 million years ago, there's a few new fossils we need to find. Flowering plants are all around us. They give us our food. They give us the beautiful flowers. And we're totally reliant on them. So are birds and so are mammals. And we can clearly say from the fossil record that 
mammals would not have evolved any further than they really did without flowering plants. And the wet tropics has the greatest concentration of those really early plants in the fossil record. They're still living here today. So why does the wet tropics have the greatest collection of the ancient flowering plants greater than any other continent in the world? And I hope I've explained that by telling you that story about connections to other continents and a continental-wide rainforest finding a refuge on the east coast of Australia. And hopefully that tells you why it survived today. But I told a little bit of a, a use a weasel word in there, probably didn't pick it up, but if you go away and do your science, you'll you realise that we have some competitors. New Caledonia was once part of the Australian mainland. It was once part of probably the Rockhampton area, the rocks match for Rockhampton. And it today, as an island, has a per square metre, has high concentrations of those primitive angiosperms. So, but you could say it was once part of us. No, 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 look, it's really an interesting story how this has happened. Uh, why wasn't it the Congo? Why wasn't it the Amazon? Because they're only relatively new rainforest compared to ours. We do think, look, there's some wacky numbers out there. I've heard all kinds of numbers. To be really as accurate as I can be, I think about 100 million years ago, this rainforest started to grow here. And if you want to wind it back a little bit more, chuck 110 on there, I think that's probably acceptable as well. But our rainforest is way older than the Congo, way older than the Amazon. We know that. And only recently, a newly published paper from what the global expert in tropical rainforests has confirmed that those Southeast Asian rainforests aren't as old as us either. So we can go back and, and have a look at all that science. So science is about learning new things every year. So you should never be upset when you get told that a scientific theory has been disproven uh, because somebody's found a fossil or new information. I find people get a little bit mistrustful of science when we find out that uh, new thing. Don't forget, we thought the world was flat. Don't forget we didn't think we could fly. Don't forget the theory of aerodynamics is called the theory of aerodynamics and we're very happy to get on a jet and go to Cairns, or sorry, Brisbane. We don't stop and think, oh, this is still just a theory. You know, if I'm going to plead anything to you, it's have faith in science. Science is going to get us out of a lot of issues. Yes, it's true. Technology and using our brain will, will help us. So please understand that science is a very powerful thing. It's the best thing we've got to solve problems that we have. There's no doubt about that. So I know that probably didn't float your boat, my little story about the evolution of land plants, but isn't it weird that the driest inhabited continent on Earth has one of the best living examples of how plants evolve from single-celled organisms living in water to be giant rainforest trees? And that story was just the yeah. tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, I really enjoyed it, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> but I, as you said, I am a bit of a nerd, so, you know. Yeah, that's it. It's just what floats our boat, Joe, I think. I just love learning. I love learning new things. And as you said before, you know, the more you know, the more you realise you didn't know. But also with oh, science, yeah. it's about, well, it, it's not science if it's not always changing and moving the bar and, you, you know. go back to 1909 and have a look at some theories out there now yeah. and what we believe today. It's totally different, you know, and it, because people find out new stuff. And that's why science is so important. That's why universities are important. And unfortunately, not everyone understands that. And it's really important to understand that our lifestyle, the car we drive, these cheap airfares we have, this thing we're talking on today is mm -hmm. all based on technology and some scientists somewhere. Uh, Wi-Fi was invented by an Australian scientist. So, people, what would you do without Wi-Fi, eh? Hey? Jeez. That, that oh. was science. <laughs> that did that. So let's stop and give them some credit, please. That's and, it. you know, if you look at our longevity, you know, I know Western medicine gets a bit of a painting from time to time. And I look, 
big believer in all types of medicine, natural therapies as well. Uh, not, not, uh, yeah, it's not what some people might be thinking. But eating well, exercising, all those simple things, what I'm referring to as natural therapies when we're talking about other natural therapies. Absolutely. I think living here in North Queensland, certainly, like if you live up here, you are, you have to, whether you admit it or not, love nature and love being amongst it. And you're, it makes you feel good. I mean, we've got the Great Barrier Reef, like you mentioned, but the wet tropics rain for us, the Daintree, the mangroves, the creeks, the streams, the savannah, not far from here. Like we are just up here in North Queensland, seriously. I pinch myself all the time just to realise just how grateful I am every day to have chosen this place to live my life and explore. A very quick announcement to make that I'm so excited. Our home education virtual portal is up and running and you can visit that at www.australianwildlifeeducation.com and if you are a parent or you know other parents who have children ages 4 to 12, this one is specifically for them and they get to learn more about Australian wildlife. Ditto. You stole the words out of my mouth. That's exactly the, the right. And look, you don't have to understand it as deeply as our leading scientists do. You don't have to understand it as, as well, I don't feel as deep at all as I do. You could just appreciate it for what it is. A nice, yeah. relaxing space where you feel connected. That's good enough for me. Absolutely. Please feel connected to nature. That's, that's on any level. I don't care what level it is, as long as you appreciate it. Go to Lake Eaton and have a swim and enjoy mm-hmm. that swim with the family and go home and feel good about it. Job done. Well yep. done. Engage with it. Yeah, that's all you need to do. You don't have to deep dive into it like people do. Absolutely. So I've got other stories to tell. I just don't know how we're going for time, Jodie. Well, we are just going towards the hour mark there, Terry. But I think my question would be that maybe other people may have is the values of the wet tropics making it the World Heritage Area. I can't remember if you actually stated that at the start with the key elements there. Okay, sure. Okay, so that's easy to do, ladies and gentlemen. Look, if you're interested, just you can go to a UNESCO website and just search World Heritage. There's a lot more information there. I really recommend learning to use the Google machine to your advantage. It's about using the right search word in the right way and don't give up. It's really important. But the reality of it is the wet tropics uh, was put on the World Heritage list for a whole bunch of reasons, and I'm going to give them to you in lay speak. They're beautiful. How easy is that? It's, and you'd all agree, Jodie just summed it up for us. It's such a beautiful part of the world. And that's another thing too, for you who have lived in the wet tropics all your lives, please understand that this is unique. This doesn't occur all over Australia or in fact all over the world. If you, I know my children, my wife and I have five kids, they're all adults now, but you know they do to a point take it for granted because they've been born and raised here. So please understand that this is a very unique setting. You don't get this everywhere you go. Being born and raised in this area, you think everywhere is like here, but it's not. It's a very unique place. So the Wet Tropics World Heritage Area was nominated for its natural beauty. Go and stand on a headland, go and walk down a beach on the land tree, go up to the Atherton Tablelands, go down to do the Kirima Range Road, travel to Blanco Falls, go anywhere you like in the wet tropics and enjoy the beauty and there's plenty of good websites that can show you wonderful photos it's just not all the easily accessible lookouts it's not all the easy accessible locations there are some hidden gems out there and again use that google machine to find where they may be with the natural beauty 
These are official criteria from UNESCO, okay? There's natural phenomena. And I think I gave an example of a natural phenomena there is why does the wet tropics contain so many of these ancient relic flowering plants? Why does the wet tropics have 33% of Australia's vertebrate biodiversity, frogs, reptiles, birds and mammals, in 0.26% of Australia's landmass? That's a phenomenon. Why in this one little spot do we have one-third of Australia's biodiversity? Yeah. A natural phenomenon, and I hope I've told the story of how that happened. It's a one-in-a-billion chance that all those things happen. We were connected to other continents. We broke away. We moved north just to escape the global cooling. We bumped into Southeast Asia. We inherited stuff from them. It's an amazing story. And I recommend you get on YouTube, search Nature's Greatest Survival Story. And then you'll have the story I just told you in a video content that we made a couple of years ago. It's about a 13-minute video and it gives you some really powerful images that goes with that story. So nature's greatest survival story on YouTube. Another reason it's a World Heritage Area, it's a living museum or it's a window back in time. It gives us an opportunity to see how land plants evolve over 500 million years. Why does the little musky rat kangaroo, who I prefer to call Hipsy, Hipsy's part of its scientific name. Why does it still live here? Who's it related to? It's the oldest living member of the kangaroo and wallaby family, 70 different types of rat. We think kangaroos and wallabies evolved from possums, and by looking at the musky rat kangaroo, it gives us an example of what that ancestor would have looked like, and it's still alive in the wet tropics today. So it is a living museum. It's a window back in time. It tells us about how Australia once was, and it's not today. The driest inhabited continent today. The next real reason why it's a World Heritage Area is a little bit harder to get your head around. It's talking about biological and ecological processes. Let's call it the theatre of life. The wet tropics is a stage for life to act out its course. Good way to think about it. The wet tropics gives life a stage to act on. Did you know... Our tropical rainforests are some of the only tropical rainforests on Earth that are affected by tropical storms. And I don't care whether you call them typhoons, hurricanes or cyclones. They're tropical storms. It's the only one that does. And that you're all yelling at the podcast now going, that can't be true. Surely the Amazon gets them, the Congo gets them, the Sumatra Borneo gets them. No, they don't. It's impossible for a tropical storm to form within five degrees of the equator. It just does not happen. And therefore, New Guinea's in there, Sumatra Borneo's in there, the Congo right through the equator, the uh, Amazon right through the equator. So no, they don't get tropical storms. Ours is one of very few tropical rainforests that does get tropical storms. Our rainforests are sculpted by cyclones, and they have been sculpted by cyclones for tens of years. It means some plants don't mind them and can deal with it. Some plants can't deal with it and don't like it. Some plants don't do too badly. They might lose a few branches. They might break off halfway down the trunk, but they can re-sprout and regrow. So we find in places that certain species dominate over others because they can deal with cyclones. Simple as that. The theatre of life, other examples of theatre of life is on the western side of the World Heritage Area. We have the, the tropical savannas and they burn every year. And that fire comes right up to the western edge of our wet tropics rainforest. And that's natural. Fires have been burning the savannas for millions of years. So the interaction between plants and fire on that western margin is another one of those theatres of life, a stage for life to act out its course. We've got a specific type of forest that grows on that western edge because of those continued fires as a part of everyday life for that part of it. 
And the last reason why it's a World Heritage Area is it offers habitats for animals, threatened species, rare species. And the most important thing I haven't mentioned today at all, which I'm thankfully I remembered, was there's more different types of plants and animals that live here and nowhere else in the world than there is anywhere else in Australia. So we have the highest level of a word we call endemic. We have endemic plants and animals that are found here and nowhere else in the world, and that's the highest number in Australia. 88 species of amphibian, reptile, birds and mammals that are found nowhere else in the world, and a whopping 700 species of rainforest plant that are found nowhere else. And the wet tropics offers habitats for those animals to live. If you think about it, if you're a frog or a fern, you want to live near a beautiful creek. What about Mossman Gorge? What about Josephine Hall? What about any rainforest creek or river in the wet tropics? That's a place where you need to live if you're a frog or a fern. What about a mountaintop where we have all those special animals? They're important. And that's our biggest threat is climate change for the wet tropics, by the way. So they are fragile. We call it fragile haven. For those who've not flown over or flown into Cairns, if you look out the window, you'll notice all the flat bit sugarcane on that coastal plain. When you fly up from Brisbane and you look out or fly down to Brisbane, look out, you'll notice sugarcane dominates the lowland areas. And therefore, a lot of our lowland rainforest has been lost over the years. And inevitably, if you're an animal that's trying to get away from climate change, we have what we call microhabitats. So think of piles of rocks in the rainforest, think of waterfalls, think of valleys that face south, away from the hot suns of summer. Those places are natural habitats for these rare, threatened, endangered species who are suffering from climate change. There are parts of the landscape that are more resilient to change than others. It's really important for us as particular managers to make sure that we connect the fragments that are left from all of that sugarcane and all that other agriculture. It's important that our neighbours of the wet tropics world heritage area look after their properties and make sure fire doesn't encroach, make sure weeds don't encroach into, into the wet tropics. In fact, there's an enormous movement in the wet tropics. We're very, very lucky. This part of the world has, has been a little bit of a refuge for people who love biodiversity. So a lot of our neighbours are, are like-minded people who put a caveat on their property, a nature refuge or a special wildlife refuge caveat, mm. which means that they're protected just as much as our national park is. And yep. that's really cool. There are parts of the wet tropics boundary that are well protected by private entities. Mm. Connecting the landscape and buffering uh, the World Heritage Area are things we can do to, to protect ourselves from climate change. And this fragile haven. I know when you're walking through a rainforest, you're pulling up the leeches, you're getting the loy vine out of your flesh of your arm it's not so fragile but trust me it is fragile 500 different types of weeds wow some of those tropical weeds are starting to dominate mm. local councils do a wonderful job controlling so is this also an effect with the tropical storms with the cyclones and stuff like yeah, that yeah absolutely we have got what we call technical term warning a stalled succession so a storm comes in knocks it down it regrows the first things that regrow what we call the pioneer species so lawyer vine starts growing around, some weed species start to dominate and they smother any new native vegetation that wants to grow. Maybe it does start to grow and guess what? Another cyclone comes mm. and knocks it down again. So there are parts of the landscape that never actually recover because a cyclone comes 
at the wrong time and smashes it down again. Is that natural? It probably is natural. As I said, it's one of the only tropical rainforests on Earth that gets these storms. So particularly, you might notice it for those who live in the area between Cairns and Innisfail, have a look around the Bartle Free Belt in Perera. Have a look up into that forest. Uh, there's a lot of uh, those stalled successions. In other yeah. words, communities that can't turn into mature rainforest because they keep getting bashed down with tropical storms. And we do think that's natural. The mm. weed bit isn't natural. Yeah, right. getting knocked down regularly naturally. Because when you do drive from Cairns to Innisfail, you can look at it, uh, that part, and just sort of go, oh, gee, it looks really beautiful because it looks green and everything. And then, you you know, you have that closer look and it's like, oh, that's all like vines and everything smothering. Mm -hmm. You can't even see the trees. Correct. Yes. So a good way to test whether you're in a healthy rainforest is, is there a canopy? Is there... 100% 100% canopy above my head. Are there any gaps in that canopy? If those tallest trees aren't meeting and just touching, that's a disturbed forest. Mm. And, of course, in 1988, when the World Wet Tropics was nominated, successfully nominated for World Heritage Listing, we had, you ready for this, a whopping 3,500 kilometres of snigging and logging tracks. For the last mm. 30 years, they have not been used for logging. And they have repaired. Some of them have almost totally repaired, which is lovely. But that brings me to the next point, our perimeter. So the edges of the wet tropics is 3,000 kilometres in size. That's from here to Melbourne as crow flies. Mm. That's an enormous perimeter to protect against feral plants and weeds mm. and people doing the wrong thing. And it is unfortunate in this day and age, but it's true, people do the wrong thing. You shouldn't be taking pig hunting dogs into the Tropics World Heritage Area. You shouldn't be taking plants out of the Tropics World Heritage Area and you certainly shouldn't be cutting down anything from the 3,000 kilometre perimeter. That's a very hard job. That is a massive job. (laughs) It's almost an impossible job. So, you know, it's really good if we could all appreciate it. We are blessed with an army of people out there that love this part of the world, that want to protect this part of the world. Oh, you there? Internet cutting off. The plant trees to connect these important parts of the landscape, to create these corridors and to match up these fragments. So we do want to thank you all for that. Absolutely. Can you hear me okay there, Terry? I can. Thank you, Jody. My internet was just playing up. Good old technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the very last thing that you just said, Terry, I actually missed that last little bit. What was that last sentence you said then? That's a really good question. I was shouting out to our community conservation groups who do an amazing amount of work for us, uh, planting trees in corridors, connecting up fragments and uh, buffering the World Heritage Area. And also doing, look, there's a lot of people that do weed control out there as well as primary. We want to thank for that as well. So there's a large part of the community that value this and understand its value. I'm just thanking them for the amazing amount of work they do for free because they love this part of the world. And I, on that note, I want to thank work that you and all your team do as well. I mean, being Wet Tropics Management Authority, you guys have a big, massive job to educate and to get the right information out there. And, you know, it's always something I saw you sort of bring a little bit more from away from the zoo industry and getting more into that information. You were just a knowledgeable person, but because you also like live amongst it and I'm not saying like you just sit there and look out your window you actually walk and walk and no wonder you need a new hip by the way <laughs> yes I have a brand new hip and it's doing a great job thank you but no, it's, 
couldn't imagine you not able to get out there. <laughs> oh, it was a struggle for a couple of years there, but I'm back on, back in the saddle and yes. really enjoying it. And as you said, you summed it up. I wake up every day and I'm incredibly grateful. Yeah. And we are the luckiest people on the planet, in my opinion, Australia as a whole, particularly in North Queensland. We have an incredible lifestyle. This time of year is the challenge, of course. Uh, I'm going to get through the, the heat and the wet, but mm. I think it comes to life. And I often get asked about, of course, as you know, and you know this, it's alive. The rainforest just becomes alive. And it's my favourite part of the year yeah. is wet season. It's powerful. It's yeah. just, you can feel the energy in the plants and the animals. The birds are calling. The frogs are absolutely calling themselves hoarse. We get a frog authority that we have to close the windows and get so loud. But that's a wonderful thing. But yeah. you've got to sleep. So. <laughs> the sound of nature sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Too loud. Yeah. But I think the growth, you can see things grow overnight, literally overnight. Yeah. Insects and the bugs too. Oh. Let's not forget them. The wet season just has, like, for me, a great feel to it. It's that steam feel, but then, like, that storm comes along, the rain comes along at 2.30 in the afternoon, and then all into the evening it's just drizzling or pouring, whichever way. But to me that is just, oh, it's so calming for me, the sound of all sorts of nature, the frogs, the insects, all sorts going on, and the rumbling like we don't get the massive thunderstorms like down south and we no. do get a storm mm. the low rumble of the thunder and the rain is just beautiful it like you said we're so grateful to be here and i came here years ago for a holiday so technically terry i'm still on holidays because i never left <laughs> <laughs> i think it happens to a lot of people i think you're not the only one yeah we yep. fall in love with it it's funny, you know, I kind of feel if you just follow your interest, it'll lead you here. Uh, that's what happened mm. to me. Absolutely. It was an absolute choice to hear. It wasn't yep. an accident for me personally. But that's part of me just following the biodiversity, following yeah, the yeah. number of animals and plants. My love of rainforest. Yeah, for sure. And on that note, anyone who's coming to North Queensland, get in contact with us. We'll tell you where to go so you can Absolutely. really experience yep. it. Yeah. And don't be afraid of the wet. Be afraid if a cyclone is declared, but don't be afraid of the wet. The wet is a lovely time to be. You'll be up. It's never cold. Yep. The place is alive. You'll see something you've never seen before. I can guarantee you that. Come here in the wet, you'll see stuff you've never seen before in your life. And that is perfect. Well, Terry, thanks so much for My pleasure, Jody. having a chat. Like That's I said, have a chat. I could talk to you about a lot more things. I think I might have to get you on other time as well. So yeah, can... well, please do. Love to have a chat again. Absolutely. You take care too, Appreciate it. Oh, See ya. I'll talk soon. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed learning more about our wet tropics rainforest, what makes it a world heritage area, but also more importantly of where our animals and plants came from. So thank you so much, Terry, for dropping by and having a chat with us. Now, I have to say that Terry is a very, very important mentor for me of who I am now and where I have come from and where I'm heading, to be honest, in the wildlife education side of things. So I'm going into my 14th year, 2021, 14th year with my business called Zoo2U, where I deliver educational wildlife talks to schools, daycares, kindergartens, and 
and also special events. And without the mentorship of Terry Carmichael, I would not be where I am today. So thank you so much, Terry, for everything that you do for not only everyone, but especially myself. I certainly do value that. So everyone else, I hope you enjoyed that chat. If you do have any feedback, please reach out to me. You can find me at Jody at AustralianWildlifeEducation.com. That is in the podcast notes. If you want to click on that, we'll send you directly to your email. Please let me know what you want to hear more of. I've got lots and lots of chats coming up, but I'm just going based on my interest and what I want to find out, which is a lot of things, which I hope you're enjoying so far. But please let me know if there is anything specific you want to know. I look forward to hearing from you. But otherwise, you'll be hearing from me next week. See you later.